In this time of uncertainty, fear and dark clouds, many of us are worrying about what tomorrow might bring. When is it all going to end and back to where it was? One strategy I believe we all need to look into to help us navigate it all is growth and development in ourselves and in our young people who are the leaders of tomorrow and our future. An inspiring lady I've got to know and I've been doing exactly this is Emma Carlson. Emma Carlson is a life coach based in Stockholm, Sweden. She went through her own growth journey and now she's helping many people, both young and old, to do the same, inspiring them to grow themselves and support them in finding their passion, developing themselves and growing. This is a slice of humility, optimism and confidence. How much of our passion and skills is in our unconscious and how do we find it? Like, like me, actually, because I can see on children that this is their highest skill. So the key part is just to, yes, now you're on camera. <laughs> you're on camera that you don't have to worry about. You know, just ignore it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I was thinking about, about genetics. Genetics. And and behavior, genetics and behavior. Because I saw my daughter, she peeled an orange. And I say, when did you learn to peel an orange like that? Then I was just thinking, wow. Can this be her father's genes? But when I want to peel an orange, it's so hard for me. But for her, it's just boom. <laughs> she's so fast. And she's doing like so professional. Yeah. And I was just looking at that behavior. And I thought it was so interesting. You know, I just, just popped in, in my mind that how much of our behavior is really like genetic. What is your what is your my, oh, is that a question? My opinion about that. The way I always look at it is like we, we're born with certain skills. We're born with certain sort of ability that everyone, they don't know they have it, but sometimes it just happens. It's like, it's like being a genius. It's like everyone, we're all genius from birth. It's just about finding what that genius is because that genius part of us is our genetics. So this thing we, we get from our parents, from our grandparents, and some of this our parents doesn't even know they have. Right? So, but it's there. But since they've never been in a scenario where they had to use it, so they never find out. This form part of our identity. But it doesn't mean that's who we are, that's who we need to be. It's just because for so many people, they have this thing as well, but they never use it. Then they find something else they're really interested in. They learn how to do it. They put so much time into it. So have you ever had that saying? It went something like, uh, if you work hard for something, you can achieve way more than something that someone has from birth. So, and that's the mindset I have when it comes to that, that we, genetics can make us do things we didn't knew we could do. And it formed part of our identity. And if you were able to find that, I had a conversation with my teacher and we were discussing about how the school system works, how we're teaching kids, because everyone is generalized. They've been taught the same way. And if someone is not doing so great in one area, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, he needs extra help uh, to, to fit in with the class. But we don't have a look from the perspective that maybe it's better to find the best in each individual kids are good at. 
could be a pre-qualification to get into school. Because when we do this, each kid, we can find out what they can be very good at and can send them to different school based on what they were good at. Maybe someone that is very hyperactive. You send them to like a school where you can use all those energy. Because if you send the same kid to the same school, which is what we do now, they call them disruptive. They call them headache because they have too much energy. Because everyone's been taught the same way. But if there's a pre-qualification, then people get filled out, find some power of the ability they might be better suited to learn about more than have different school, then go to that school. It doesn't mean there's going to be segregation. It just means like it will be so much easier for the teachers and it will be so much easier for the student. And from a, from a very young age, then you realize that you're not stupid, just like that saying that if you keep on judging a fish by its ability to climb a tree, the, the fish will live the rest of its life believing that it's stupid because it's not built to do that. Then if you put a fish, a monkey, a lion, and uh, a butterfly, if you, if you put them all in one class and judge them based on the same principle, the same umbrella, the same mindset, the same skill level, then you're going to have some that are going to do great, some are not going to do so great. And the one that's not doing great, you, they might think they're stupid. Uh, you might say, oh, no, 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 just because you're not very good at it. No, but from them, they don't know themselves yet. They're growing up. So that's why when we look at it from a different point of view, start from a different perspective, the kids will now, everything they get into, they will be doing it from the point of view of what it can be good at, what, what can be developed. And that's why your daughter, coming back to your daughter, peeling orange like a pro, they <laughs> 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 don't get put into use. And uh, <laughs> which I don't really know what that could be, <laughs> but that's just. <laughs> but you get my point. You no, know, her 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 biggest uh, asset is her looks. She just became a model. She um, she signed with the Stockholm Skruppen. Okay. Wow. So she's gonna earn some of her own money. <laughs> How old is she? How old is your daughter? Uh, she's turning fifteen now, April. She's turned 15. Oh, there you go. She she finds some that was gained through genetics. And now... I'm peeling oranges. <laughs> I'm peeling oranges as well, you know. You never know. But I love what you said just uh, now because it was so much going through my mind when you were talking and I agree with everything that you say. Uh, but I'm thinking about how much of our our passion and skills is in our unconscious. And how do we... How do we find it? How do we find, you know, some teachers, they can, they can see, like, like me, actually, because I can see on children that this is their highest skill. I've been working with kids for nine years. Like you talk about those kids that have ADHD, you think that they are headache, just like you said, and because they don't fit in, in the group, you know, because they have a lot of energy. And just like you said, why can't you give them chance them to develop their passion instead maybe they are good very good at dancing singing maybe most of those uh, kids they are they like to be seen and heard uh, a lot and they need we need to help them to take take their place in this world because a lot of those kids too when they grow up they're going to develop mental issues because they think that they are a failure and it's going to go to their mind, and they're going to be depressed. Why couldn't we, like, help them instead to become who they are? 
core of who they are and allow them to be themselves uh, and for them to grow even stronger in their in their passion because you can see I can see in one year old kids what they are good at I can see their social skills I can see if they're good at dancing or like if they have some kind of verbal uh, skill or something like that. You can see it very, very early. And if you all the time uh, try to uplift them about their what they are good at, we grown-ups, when we see these kids, it's our responsibility to really like help them with that and set limits. I mean, like ADHD, they need a lot of limits from us grown-ups. They need us to almost hold them physically for them to understand that this is not right to do to other kids if they beat them or something like that. But most of us, we don't. We are afraid of doing something wrong. And I think that is a huge, huge problem in society overall, not only in Sweden, but especially in Sweden. I think that when I see in school and preschool where I've been working, those teachers, they are so afraid of the physical touch to hold them because it can easily like feel like violence or something sexual. And people are so afraid to do something wrong. And that's why these kids grow up insecure instead, because we, we adults, we don't set the right limits for them. We just let them, you understand what I mean? Yeah, I understand. So we don't set a boundary for them because we're too afraid of what it might be perceived as. You know, like we mentioned, it might be perceived as something grabbing onto someone, you know, not in a violent way, just in a controlled way. It might be seen that someone else has been violent. It's or so it just, different. It's so different. From violent and control. Control is something good. Violent is something bad. But you have to know the right way. Yeah, like a people that are working with this, I believe they're trained to know how to use in a more controlled way. You know, I believe that's why they're in that job because they're competent, because they already studied, they understand kids, or they understand the people they're working with. So giving them the opportunity to be able to use their own initiative and without being afraid that, okay, if, if I see a kid that's hyperactive, he has so much energy, keep on telling him, no, stop, sit, don't do that. And he kept on doing that. Having to restrain them physically doesn't have to be seen as violent. I do the same in the work I do as well. When I see people that are really violent, people that are really agitated, people that are really hungry, a touch means a lot. It just depends on the way you apply it. Because when you touch someone, a lot of the time, we judge from what we can see. We see hunger, we see like hyperactivity, and we're thinking, okay, danger, danger, danger. This is actually the time where that person needs to be understood, where he needs to be feel connected. And when it feels like someone is listening, when it feels like he's not being judged, when it feels like, you know, someone wants to, you know, wants to understand his point of view, his perspective. And when you place your hand on someone, in that instant, it's a physical connection, it creates an emotional connection as well. And doing so doesn't need to be seen as violence. This is not me just doing that to someone. I do this every time because it's like when I walk around and I see a kid shouting or people causing trouble, I just walk up to someone just like, hey, man, just, oh, come on, relax. That's it. But automatically people look at me and they just go, because you see they're really hungry. Everyone was stepping back. You just like, relax. It doesn't matter what you're old and what you're doing. People kind of calm down because people expect you to just turn around and smack me in the face. 
I don't know, people have been trying to punch me before, trying to hit me before, you know, that's, that's not the point of it, but it's a calculated risk. Because from experience, I learned that human touch, that's the same reason why we shake hands. And I know now we don't shake anymore because of what's going on right now, but human connection, it has a purpose to it. Because when you do that, and you do that, not in a manipulative way, in a controlled way, people feel it and they react to it, and they feel understood without having to say anything. And having to apply it to a child growing up, that all he knows from his mom in the womb is a touch. So on a child growing up, in his guidance, what you said earlier, in his guidance, in his like uh, boundaries to be set, but they don't know where it is. And uh, if you have a parent that has a child like this for a lot of the time as well, it can be stressful. It will be stressful if you don't know how to deal with it. Just want to the kid to be the kid without realizing that okay, a kid like this, you need to set a boundary. It feels like you can't set the boundary, but you need to because if you don't, they feel like there's no boundary, and they'll keep on pushing the limit and pushing and pushing it. So now when they go to school, the people that are close to them doesn't set boundary for them. No, now when you go to school, when you go into the society, they they feel like. There's no boundary. Now I'm going to push it further because from their perception, that's all they know. It doesn't make it wrong or right. It just means that's all they know. It starts from somewhere. And at that point, they just keep on pushing the boundary. And now when everyone else is looking at them, it's like, oh, yeah, violence. How oh, bad kids. Oh, like a thug or like a disruptive kid. Now they put labels on them. And so, yeah, they need help. You need to control them. Oh, you need to send them to a specialized school. You need to, like, uh, medicate them. So the point I'm trying to get is, like, uh, the physical touch doesn't need to be seen as either sexual or violence if it's done in a controlled way. And when you're looking at kids or young people, people that are working with them, you trust them. That's why they get a job. So why don't you trust them to, to take steps that could put boundaries in place, make them feel understood, and at the same time, make them understand boundary. Boundary is actually love. Yes, it's love, yeah. Like you say that you describe, if their parents don't set boundaries, then the children is not going to feel the love from their parents, to be honest. And that's why they're going to misbehave. And when they come to school with that behavior, uh, then if they meet a teacher that set boundaries, they're going to have more love for that teacher. And that's when something starts to become wrong. Because children is not supposed to attach more to their teacher than to their parents. But as a teacher, you have to set the boundaries to be able to make the group of children work together. But I see a lot of teachers don't set boundaries either just like the parents. And then the groups of children are just chaotic. And the children don't feel any direction and they are confused. And yeah, because a lot of teachers, they don't take responsibility. And they are even against um, the teachers that do set boundaries because they, that they think that those teachers are doing something wrong from my own experience. Because when these teachers uh, don't set boundaries, 
and some of the other teachers, they see that about we have to set boundaries, something that we're doing is wrong. But when, when uh, too many of those teachers point out the person or the people that set boundaries uh, as it's something wrong or something dangerous or sexual to the children or something like that, then a lot of people are just going to follow the herd, the mentality. Because if it's too much teachers that, that think the same thing, that it's not okay to set boundaries for kids, then it's going to be like a culture in that place. Yes. And, uh, and then uh, the teachers that want to set boundaries, that uh, are fighting for these kids to develop in a good, in a good way, uh, they are the ones that is doing something wrong. And this is when leadership comes in. Because if the leadership too, like with the herd, then it's going to be a huge problem. Yeah, I understand. Uh, and the whole school is just going to be upside down. Yeah, that, that's why everything has to always come from the top. Because uh, if you have, like what you said before, had mentality where where like uh, the majority rules so because that's the whole definition of democracy and uh, believe that democracy is always a good thing which is true but at the same time democracy can be turned upside down if the belief of the majority uh, are not the right thing for the rest of the society maybe they're making that choice because of mind or mindset that because they don't want to offend everyone else because if you think about it these days uh, the majority way of thinking of the recent past has been, you know, I'm doing things because I believe that's what you want me to do. I'm doing things because I'm thinking if I do that, you're, gonna, you're going to be happy. That's how a lot of people are making decisions. And you looking at me, doing things I'm doing because you thought, okay, yeah, if he's doing it, I should be doing the same because otherwise I'll look different. Someone has started it based on someone else's perception. Then someone else that's looking at them is looking at them doing the same thing, not doing it, they're doing it because they think that's what they expected of them. So now someone else copies it because, okay, yeah, that has to be the right thing to do because if he's doing it and I copy him, he's going to be happy or she's going to be happy or they're going to be happy because we're doing the same thing. Now, so two people are doing it. Then the third person comes in, they do the same thing because they don't want to be outside the group. Then... After about 15 different uh, chain links later, you realize who started it. Is this right? Or because we just all just want to do things because we don't, we don't want to upset anyone else? Or because we think that's what all the other people expected us to do? Or because when we do it, we feel more uh, connected to the group? We do it, but is it the right thing to do? And am I doing it for the right reason? No one stopped to ask this question as long as they're part of that group. And they will do anything possible to keep with that group. Uh, because now, if the person that started this, like, you know, this way of thinking or this, you know, this act has a manipulative sort of like a mindset. And for that reason, democracy can be dangerous in that way. The same thing, if you look at the past history, you know, what happened in Germany, in, in Italy and all this, like Mussolini and Hitler and all these guys, it started the same way. See, they, they had an idea, but they're very manipulative. 
then all of a sudden other people start following them they didn't know the bigger agenda they had later they just oh they're saying the right thing so if they're saying it and my friend are listening to them okay I, i'm gonna listen to them as well without really stopping and thinking okay is what they're saying is it right is it wrong well okay it sounds good and everyone is doing it so it's a trend so we follow then everyone is doing it so then it becomes the normal thing no one actually remember how it started. The only person that remember how it started is the person that started it for a reason he knows. Then once people follow, they become a stronger part of the group. They will do anything to keep as part of that group. Now, no matter what that group tells them to do, no matter whatever trend comes out of that group, they will follow it, wrong or right. They don't remember how that started, why they're doing it. Just because, oh, everyone is doing it, it's the right thing. Trying to remember this experiment, the psychological experiment, when they had the leader in a position of authority telling someone to do something. At the beginning, they were hesitating. Then over time, they were just doing it because they believed the guy, because they trusted the person telling them to do it. And this is how this thing happened in a group. So once you trust the group, once you feel like you're a stronger part of that group, you're not going to question most of what's coming out of it. You're just going to follow it. So in this scenario, majority of the teacher, they believe the same thing. You ask them really why you think setting a boundary for a child is a bad thing. Tell them to, to logically define it, to logically argue it. Why do you actually think? I know everyone believes it. I know everyone is doing it. And I know everyone agrees. And I know, you're, you know the leader agrees as well. But why? Is it you see as violence? Or do you think it's not your place because you're not a parent? Or what is it that you actually believe that makes you think that setting a boundary for a child? A child, you're not supposed to know what you're doing because you're a child, you're growing. What you, what you come across is what you believe as wrong or right. So what you see in front of you, if it happens so many times and no one says anything about it, okay, then that becomes part of your belief system. And if no boundary is all you see around you, if chaos is all you see around you, if whatever you do goes is all you see around you, now what happened? Anytime you go outside, you don't see boundaries. You just say, okay, yeah, because you know my mom, my mom never told me anything to do, so who's your job to tell me what to do? Then the teacher believed the same thing. If they're the parent, they go to school as well. Oh, I don't set boundaries for my kids. I just let them find out about things for themselves. And where do they learn stuff? From you. You didn't teach, teach them anything. So then they go out, no one can teach them anything. And when you meet a child, same boundary like what you said, and you don't move on the boundary, and initially they, they're going to hate you for it, initially. But then they realize, oh, she's doing it. He's doing it for the right reason. Oh, he must care about me because he wants the right thing for me. That's why it's stopping me from doing this. Then they can see later and they can form a connection with the teacher. And all of a sudden, there's a stronger bond. And as you mentioned earlier, it's not always a great thing when there's too much stronger bond, emotional bond between the teacher and the student. Because then the line gets blurred. That, okay, are you teaching or are you parenting? <clears throat> Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, the boundaries is so very important to, for the children to listen because if, like you say, if you're going to teach something, 
children are going to learn from us. They have to respect us. If we don't set boundaries, they will never listen to us either. So how, how are we going to be able to teach the children anything? Some children is just going to go through school like, like automatic, but some children, they have a lot of issues. They need a lot of boundaries. And it starts in the home. If they don't have it there, then they will not listen to the teachers either. Parents, wake up. <laughs> Parents, wake up. <laughs> so what, what do you think from your experience and from your personal professional experience, what do you think can be done? How do you think like a distance can be improved or changed? Be there. I won't really want to make a change because I'm fighting for the kids to have boundaries and for us to be able to teach them something. But it's not possible because it's heard. Uh, the herd is like contradictory too because of the herd. They want something good for the children, but they are not doing it. Like they're not taking action to do it. They are just. They just want to be comfortable, to be nice, and nice is a huge problem. Because if you, if you want to be nice all the time, then how 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 are you gonna set boundaries? You know, if if you're gonna let the children do whatever they want to do, and you're just gonna be nice, and it's gonna you you're gonna raise uh, monsters, you know. So and they're not gonna have any respect for you. They're gonna scream at you and and hit you, and uh, they don't know the boundaries if we don't set them for them. Uh, but something that I was thinking about too is the uh, Laroplana. Laroplana. We have <clears throat> we have a document that we uh, we we read, and it, it's like in our education too. There's document with rules how we're supposed to work uh, in school. Guidelines. And one of those things that is very important in these rules is that kids are supposed to have influence. It's like they're going to have like influence in school, in preschool, over their day in school. That we teachers, we should listen to them and let them have this influence. And a lot of teachers, that, uh, they misinterpret this uh, rule and think that they, the children, they are the ones that are going to decide everything. Misunderstanding. From a lot of teachers too so i think maybe i don't know if it's going to change if we rewrite these rules i don't think it's going to change anyway but the rule that rule is some is is, is an issue that i have seen because they, they misinterpret the meaning yeah the, the meaning of the guidelines i yeah mm -hmm. totally i totally get your point because how do you teach a child how do you teach someone that have full full influence over every single thing they do because uh, I understand the, the point they're trying to make. Group, with a group of maybe from 12, 15, up to 30 kids. Wow. And so, every, every, every individual is supposed to have influence over their day in school. You know, that is crazy. What's going to happen with their children? It's just going to be chaos. Because, because what, you saw, what you were saying before about the teachers, what they were trying to do, and the way they're thinking is a bit of a paradox. They're trying to help a kid, but 
but at the same time, they're trying to be very nice and not to do anything that might upset them or anything that the kids might not like at all. So if, you, if you're trying to be nice all the time, then you can't set a boundary. There's a difference between discipline, being nice or being mean. So discipline is, is like a loving discipline someone. is being nice yes, for yes, me, you see. but not for them. And, and that's a key point because discipline is like uh, exactly what they want in the guideline, I believe, from the way I'm thinking about it. I don't know so much about the guidelines, about the teaching guidelines, but from my thinking right now, what they were trying to do is, so they were thinking this way. So they want the kids to have influence over the way they're educated because the children, they need to be more creative. They need to be free to make like a thing for themselves so they're not molded into a box that the school created. So I totally understand that point, but it can't be total. If you think about it from the point of discipline, which is which I believe is what they're trying to achieve, which is like have the children have a creative space or the creative time within the plan they have for them in school where they can be free to decide what they want to do, how they want to think. And at the same time, for every single homework or whatever it is or in school, they only get guidelines about how to do them. They don't have to be told how they actually do it. Say, for example, I'm trying to think very hard here. You give guidelines. Okay, this way. So it's like whenever you're teaching kids, you treat them like you're a director, not their managers. So the difference between a director or a CEO and a manager is a manager tells you what you need to do, how you need to do it, and when you need to do it. So you know exactly what you need to do from point A to point B to point C to point D. But for a director, a director just tells you, this is where we are. This is where we need to go. So I'll see you there. I trust you that you will get there the best possible way you know how to do. If you need any help, any guidance, or anything between, let me know. But I believe in your ability to figure out how to get there. Then that way, you can use your own creativity, your own mindset. You can use what they define as the influence over your education to actually get there. And whenever there's an issue in the between, maybe you need some extra support, then you can talk to the teacher. You can talk to your parent. You can, you can work with other students. And they won't see that as cheating, nor doing the, the work properly. Because it's not just you supposed to do it. It's just you that's supposed to know how to get to the end. And you work with every resources you can find, you can think of, that your imagination can come up with to achieve that goal. And that's the two different between the managers and the director mindset. This is what I believe they were trying to achieve. But the teachers, from what you described to me, seems to have just taken it like, okay, nope, not even the director or the manager mindset. They just like, okay, yeah, we're supposed to be like a shareholder. Be a shareholder. We own part of the share. We own, we're part of these kids growing up, learning something. But I'm a shareholder, but I have no control in telling you what to do, telling you where to go, telling you how to do it. So they need a manager or director. All they do is just give you space. Come in, sit here, 
do whatever. <laughs> okay, maybe not exactly. Maybe I'm just exaggerating right now. They that. <laughs> but do you see the way I was trying to describe it? Like between the yeah. manager, director, and a shareholder. You know, a shareholder, they only have a stake, but they're not going to tell you where to go. They're just going to leave you to it. And at the end of the day, they want to see where you are. Okay, are you doing good? Oh, do you do well? Or you did bad. That's what they care about, which is where, and in the school perspective, that's where the test comes in. So now they just care about, oh, do you pass, do you fail? And from this mindset, it's very confusing for the kids. And when you have the majority having a shareholder mindset, when it comes to bringing children up in an environment where you're actually supposed to guide them, in a society where all the information they get is from the internet, it could be good, it could be bad, you don't know. So if they don't guide, get guidance from home, they gain full freedom from a teacher, from an environment that's supposed to teach them something. They're just going to do what they, believe, what they believe is the right thing to do. They will go on TikTok and watch a video and whatever the guy says, whatever the most popular guy says, they follow. And this is what's causing the big issues. That's my perspective on the guideline of the school system. And the teachers now, there needs to be more of a director, from my point of view. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast and would like to listen to more, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast or listen directly on murphyalex.se. Take care of yourself and have a great one.